What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective Podcast. I'm Maddie Kroll, and I'm with Sean Devney and Adam Taylor. What's up, guys? Hey, Maddie. Hey, Adam. Hello, everybody. How are we today? I think all of us collectively are better than Sean is. Sean's had quite well, the Sean's having uh, an endless enough. But I can also say that Adam is is in England and he's dealing with uh, uh, a lot of stuff over there. So we, we, we've all got our, our, our stuff that we're dealing with right now. I'm thriving. I, we got the new iOS 16 update. I was able to unsend some some messages that were sent by tequila before the person read them the next morning. So I'm thriving right now. There you go. Okay, so there we you need go. to see what they said. Absolutely not. You do, nobody needs to see what that's. We said. definitely, definitely, with no context whatsoever. We just need to see those texts. I mean, all you need to know is that it was that it was tequila induced. That's all. That's all. We need to we need to send Maddie more tequila. I think that's what we need. All right. Well, let's get into the topics today. We are talking about Marcus Smart on trade rumors, Jason Tatum's weak spot. Um, the Celtics defense, and then we're going to play a little game of true or false. I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah. I'd just like to point out that on the show sheet that we have, and everybody should know we have a show sheet because we're super organized, <laughs> the, one, the, the statement reads, let's close with some lightning fast true or false questions. Though it, when it comes to Sean and Adam, nothing is lightning fast. We'll go <laughs> with moderate lightning here. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. We're going with sort of rolling thunder. Let's go with rolling thunder <laughs> questions rather than <laughs> lightning. All good info, though. All good info. It's all true. Okay, well, talking about Marcus Smart, he made an interesting comment to The Athletic last week that direct, or the exact quote was, until it actually happens, I try to pay trade rumors no mind. So he's basically saying that uh, he's not affected or impacted by the Kevin Durant trade rumors he just doesn't pay any attention until things are solidified. Um, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I obviously he's a guy who, uh, over the course of his Celtics career, has been in a number of trade rumors uh, during his time. Uh, you know, he's 28 years old. He's averaged last year, he averaged 12 points, 5.9 assists. Um, you know, he's a guy who... I think one of the most underrated, underrated moves that Brad Stevens made uh, in his first year was to sign him to an extension four years, seventy-six million. He could have gotten a lot more. He could have got a lot more on the on the uh, uh, on the open market if he had gone to free agency. Um, he wanted to be here. He wanted to be a Celtic. Um, and I think when you look at that, um, not only did he want to be a Celtic, the Celtics wanted him here. It's hard to see any time between now and 2026 when he becomes a free agent that he's going to possibly leave. Uh, I just don't think there's any chance that he winds up leaving the Celtics. I think that this guy uh, is, uh, is, is, is going to be a Celtic and probably going to be among the top 10 Celtics of all time. Uh, I don't think that's, uh, that, that's a crazy statement when you wind up looking uh, at where his numbers are now. Uh, and where he will wind up being. I mean, he's going to be, um, if you look at the top 10 Celtics of all time, he's he's going to be, I think, number 11 by the end of this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets, uh, you know, much further than that by the end of this contract. We agree. So 
I think when it comes to trade rumors, first of all, not many Celtics have been in as many trade rumors as Marcus Smart. The dude was on one of the most tradable contracts in the NBA. Right. In terms of production to value, he was one of the most positive value contracts in the NBA. So that meant that every time Boston were out looking for a new player or they were rumored to need an upgrade in this position or that position, his name was getting floated. And it wasn't because Smart's a bad player and Boston would be better off without him. It was just because his value compared to the contract meant he was the perfect ancillary piece to a deal to make, make that money work, to tie that deal together. Obviously, that means he's been through the the rumor mill more than pretty much anybody he's going to ever play with. And I think that's why he was such a good kind of sounding post for Jalen Branger in this ordeal throughout the season because Jalen can reach out knowing that Smart's been through this. In terms of whether Smart is going to be traded before the end of his uh at least the end of this contract. I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't think he's untouchable. I think unless your name's, unless you're Jason Tatum, you're pretty much always capable of being added to a deal. But in terms of when you look at a trade and it needs to work for you as well as the other team, there's not many people that can give you as much as what Smart does for as little as what he earns comparative to the stars that he plays around. Yeah, and and Adam, to your point, like I, I you start to look at the players who this coming year he's going to make less than uh, Evan Fournier, uh, Bogdanovich, both of the Bogdan, Boyan and Bogdan Bogdanovich. He's going to make less than both of those guys. Uh, Gary Trent Jr., uh, Karis LeVert, uh, Bridges, Mikhail Bridges in uh, Phoenix, uh, Terry Rozier, Buddy Heald, Joe Harris, Eric Gordon, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. These are all guys that Marcus Smart is going to make less than. Uh, and uh, my gosh, I would, I would rather, he's going to make less than them over the course of his whole contract, which is, which still goes another four years. And 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 it, it's just it's a great deal for the South. It's a great deal for him. I can't see this relationship. I, I don't think either side will ever want this relationship to uh, uh, to come to an end. I think that that that, that both of these guys, both sides. Uh, are in a position where they, they really want to be uh, with each other at this point. So you think that he's going to be a Celtic for a long time? Certainly through 2026. I, I don't see any any change to that. And and after that, probably, yeah, they'll probably want to keep him around. I mean, he'll still be, he'll still be 32, I believe, at that point, or uh, 34. Adam, do you feel the same way? On, well, first of all, I just want to point out that it feels wild that this is the ninth year of Marcus Smart. Right. Yeah. Like that's wild in itself, especially because he improved so much last season as an all-round player. Not in like you're not going to see those improvements in the box score, but you certainly saw those improvements on the floor. And I think because he's still shown improvements in year eight, and he's still young, he's been with the team for nine years. I don't see why you trade away somebody with that longevity who's impacted winning at so many levels throughout the he he was one of the first Celtics through the door when that rebuild happened once Pearson Garnett were gone. He was he's been there all the way through the Isaiah years, the Hayward and Kyrie years, the Kemba years. Now we're into that JT and JB lead in the team years. He's gonna be that guy that could potentially be a Celtic for life or go down that Paul Pierce route and not experience playing for other teams until he's on that last lap of his contract, last lap of his career. So, yeah, I think he's a Celtic for life at this point. He's been there too long, and he's just too impactful for you to really consider trading him away. Mm. 
Um, do you guys have anything else to say on Marcus Smart before we dive into Jason Tatum's weak spot? Love the green hair. So the green hair was dope. The green yeah. hair is dope. The yep. green hair is dope. And you're Adam's a big fan just in general, I feel like, of Smart. I've um, been on both sides of the coin. Both sides of the coin. I love yeah. the way you said coin there. Coin. Oh, that was too American. Both sides of the coin. There you go. All right. Well, let's dive into Jason Tatum's weak spot. Recently, last week, Heavy talked with an NBA coach who said that what's missing from Tatum's game is a post-up game. He pointed out that all of the top forwards in the game, like Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, they all have a really effective post-up games. Excuse me. The exact quote was, it's a gaping hole with him. Why? Is it really that big of a deal? Is the post-up game a thing of the past? I'm going to let Adam, do you want to get started on this one? And then we'll dive into Sean. First of all, Jason Tatum's offense, ran. he ran 8.7% of Tatum's offense ran through the post last season. That's more than cutting off screens. It's more than cutting off ball, more than running DHOs, pick and pops, putbacks, or representing as the role man on the pick and roll. It was literally middle of the pack. So out of every 100 possessions, Tatum went to the post eight, well, we'll round up so nine times. In a modern NBA, the guy's going to the post more than 15 times, and he's not a big man out of 100 possessions. You're, you're slowing the offense down unless you're facilitating out of there. Tatum's a big guy. Can he, could he do with adding a drop step to his game? Definitely. Could he do with figuring out some post moves that don't involve a fadeaway? Maybe. But you're asking Tatum more and more now to initiate the offense from the perimeter, to be that pick-and-roll ball handler, to be a screen guy that goes screens and then spots up and then attacks off the rip once the defense closes out on you. I don't think that you need much from him in the post. Boston like to kind of get the ball to him around that elbow area in their elbow actions and allow him to work from there a little bit higher up the floor so he can use his length and like that, that long wingspan. So when he's making those big strides in the ground, he covers. I don't think it's essential, to be honest with you. Maybe if he can improve his passing out of the post, but Rob Williams is a great low, low post passer. Maybe Grant Williams should improve there too. I just don't think that it really adds much value to Tatum's game at all. All it's going to do is force him into more of those Kobe-esque fadeaways that he worked so hard to take out of his game in the first place. Sounds like you don't think it's holding him back either. He was all NBA. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I just, I, I, I can't disagree more with Adam and what he's saying right now, though, because I think that uh, if you're going to be that next level superstar forward, if you're going to be that big guy, that Kevin Durant, that LeBron, uh, that Kawhi Leonard, uh, you, you know, if you're going to be on that, Giannis, if you're going to be on that level, you've got to have a post game. Um, it doesn't really show up as much to me in the regular season. It's more in the postseason. That's when you need it because this game, I said this a million times, the game slows down. You've got to be able to find ways in the half court to score, uh, and you want your best player to be able to set up in the post and do something with it. I, I last year when you had Drew Holiday, who's six foot three, on Jason Tatum, who's six foot eight, in the post in that Milwaukee series, Jason Tatum, Drew Holiday won that matchup every time. That cannot be. You cannot have that. You can't. That that's just like you. You can't. Have, you've got to be able to. If you're six foot eight, you've got to be able to take advantage of the guy who's six foot three. 
And that was not the case with Jason Tatum. If you look at the at the top guys in the NBA uh, last year, uh, Giannis uh, was a uh, in the 70th percentile in terms of his scoring ability in the post. Uh, LeBron was in was 75th percentile in his scoring in the post. Kevin Durant was 86th percentile in his scoring in the post. Uh, Jason Tatum was 33 percentile. But I mean, it, 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 he was he he's terrible. He, he cannot score in the post. That's not what he does, but he's got to learn to do that. I, I don't think there's any question that what made LeBron what LeBron is now, what made Kevin Durant what Kevin Durant is now, is their ability to score in the post. He's got to be able to do that. You see, but over the last three seasons in the post for Kevin Durant, he, he's running it 11 times. 11 times out of 100 possessions, he's going to the post. And he's probably... So out of what is he scoring? He's scoring 2.7 points per 100 possessions. So just over 50%. It's not like his conversion rate is much higher than Tatum's. He's just getting the ball there a little bit more than what Tatum is. But you've got to be able, you've got to be able to convert those though. I mean, that's 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 the thing, is you've got to be able to get your team some easy points, get yourself some easy points too, to get your offense going. And and Tatum does not have that in his game right now. He just doesn't have it where he can back a guy up. I mean, like I said, I mean, you saw it, Adam. I mean, against Drew Holiday. He got he he was not he was completely ineffective. Yeah, he doesn't his hips are too high when he's backing guys down. He's not using his force to push for guys like backwards. But that's where I said, could he do with a drop step? Yeah, because you can negate a strength difference with a good drop step because you seal the guy off as you take that drop step around him. And that could work wonders for his game. And he's still facing the basket at that point. I think the biggest concern I've got, I'm not saying he doesn't need to add a, a post a post series to his game. But my biggest concern is I don't want him doing so with his back to the basket because he's going to lean into that fadeaway shot. And we know it. We've seen him do it. It's he, Tatum is very much a guy that plays into his comfort zones. And I think that's one thing Ime Udoka challenged him to get out of last season by forcing him to the hoop more. So asking him to post guys up is fine. But you need to train him or he needs to work on ways in which he can succeed in the post by facing back up to the basket. And a drop step seems to be the ideal one. Because I just don't want those fadeaways to creep back into his game because they're a net negative. I, I would rather see him get those fadeaways and get that as a as as a shot that he can rely on. I'd rather see him be a little more Paul Pierce than that. You know what I mean? Where he gets to that elbow and he knows he has a shot there because that's that's one thing about him is I don't feel like he has a go to shot that 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 he can go to. Uh, and and I, I think that'd be more successful for him. I think it'd be more successful for them in the playoffs as well. I'm going to do a deep dive on this because now I'm super interested. So uh, you can work out for that on my socials, but I, I still stand by the fact that a drop step's more than enough. I, I understand. But but also when you do a, a, a deep dive on him, look at LeBron, look at Kawhi, look at like, – if he wants to get to that level of Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi, Kevin Durant, look at look at what they do. And compare it to what he does because he does not he doesn't have that part of the game. And to me, I remember LeBron when he came back after the the Miami Heat loss, and they were completely embarrassed in that 2010 uh, NBA championship against the against the Mavericks. When when he came back the next year, uh, and and in subsequent years, one of the things he worked on it was so clear was getting getting easy baskets in the post, like getting the that that 15 footer. If it's a fadeaway, then whatever that, that whatever you need to do. But just to be able to get there and to get that easy basket, I think that's a big, big, big thing. And and I think that's what he needs to do. I think I'm so ingrained in five-out basketball. And, like, 
pace and space motion offense that post-ups are just an afterthought to me if you're in the post i want to cross screen so somebody can get the hell out of that post and figure out a way to hit a free uh so it's definitely something i think i've just spent so much time watching modernized ball that the post offense does hold less value to me but then again i'm a huge advocate for the mid-range so you know i'm a bit of a hypocrite here but i'm definitely going on with a drop step's more than enough. I can teach him how to drop step. Me and him can become best friends. I'm down to all of it. <laughs> it wouldn't if, be a Celtics if, Collective podcast if Adam wasn't shooting for a job somewhere in this. I mean, and if Adam winds up becoming best friend, best friends with with Jason Tatum, then I'm good with that. He is my favorite player. Adam, yeah, you yeah. could be Jason Tatum's nanny. I've seen the you know like um the the movie with Vin Diesel in the Pacifier yeah so I could spend a year getting jacked so I, and then you know I could be more like Vin Diesel and you know drive some fast cars and then I could be the nanny I'd do that Deuce looks awesome and then you could subtly just sneak in a casual conversation hey let's work on your post up game I think I'd play him and just dominate him in the post and then be okay. Now we're living in fantasy land. I think the whole thing was a fantasy <laughs> conversation. I mean, if we're just, I'm just leaning into it more. <laughs> I I hope that we just spoke that into existence for you, though. Adam wants I, to be I've an American. Very, I've tried very hard. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the Celtics defense. Do we think that they're going to be able to repeat what they did in the 21-22 season when they led the NBA in defensive efficiency at 106.2 points per 100 possessions? They were the best defense in the league. This has been a pattern in the NBA going back to 2011 when the Chicago Bulls led the NBA in defense and they did it again the next season. So in the last 11 years, four teams that led the league in defense did it again the following year. They ran it back. Do you think the Boston can make it five times in 12 years? Sean? Uh, yes, I think they can. I think there's going to be significant challenges. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I went back and looked at the, the teams that actually did it. Uh, so Milwaukee did it in 2020 and 2019, uh, and neither one of those were their championship teams. Uh, the Spurs did it in 17 and 16, uh, and again, like they went to the Western Conference Finals, but they were not a, a championship team. Indiana did it with Frank Vogel, 13-14, uh, Eastern Conference Finals. Chicago did it 11-12. and 12. Uh, And again, like they did not get very far in the playoffs. They got to the Eastern Conference Finals. That was their, was their max. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessary to lead the league in defense and get to the NBA Finals or, or, or win the NBA Finals. Uh, but I think that they can do it. Um, and I think especially because they played their best defense from January 1st or so on. But, like that, that was their best defense. They can take that and bring it into the new year. Uh, and, and, and I think that's going to really be something that's beneficial to them. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, I expect to be a, a plus in terms of the defense. Uh, Derek White will be better as a defender because he will be more familiar with the guys that he's playing with. Um, hopefully, Robert Williams will be, uh, you know, healthy and, and, and be able to be consistently productive. So, you know, defensively, yeah, I, I think the Celtics have a real good chance uh, to be the best defensive team again, second year in a row uh, uh, for, for, uh, uh, for for the season. 
Um, and, and it's hard to see like who else could possibly be better. You know, I, I don't know that there's any team out there that could possibly be better than, uh, than, than what they're putting out there defensively. I think the Warriors have an opportunity if, they, if James Wiseman's healthy and he gets minutes. But I agree. I don't think there's many teams out there that are as defensively sound as what Boston are. Uh, I'm a big believer. Well, what about Minnesota? Well, actually, I, I probably should have said Minnesota. What do you think? Are, are they going to be any good? Bo Cruz just took Rudy Gobert to the cleaners in Europe. Oh, there you right. go. All right. Like, I'm not. I'm not concerned about Minnesota. All right. Fair enough. Your, your interior defense is fine, but we play an exterior game these days. Yep. So uh, let's see what happens. They're, they're, they're going to be good. No shade. They're going to be good. <laughs> but they're not going to be top five. I don't think. I'll be shocked. They'll, they'll be around that seven to twelve mark. And the one thing that I've been really kind of big on over the last eighteen months is. Finding some form of parity between your offense and defense, right? So when you look at some of the teams, the Atlanta Hawks are a perfect example. I was going to say exemplary example, but that doesn't work as well. So they're a perfect example. Their offense is always a top 10 offense. You've got Trey Young. You've got Kevin Huerta. DeAndre Hunter continues to improve. They've added added DeJounte Murray to try and add some defense. They've been looking for someone like that for a while to partner with Trey Young. But what happens is, They're a top 10 offense, but they're bottom five in defense almost consistently. And it may be bottom 10. You know, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But my point is, there's no point excelling at one thing if you're not too good at the other. And we saw that from Boston to an extent. They they just had such an elite defense that their offensive cold stretches, you could paper over them a little bit because other teams couldn't score on you. And I like that, especially where, like, you know, offensively you can have off nights. Shots just aren't falling for you. There's a there's a lid on the rim. Defense is a lot more effort-based, and you can bring effort and hustle every night. And I think that M.A. Udoka's got everyone to buy into that. But what I'm getting at in a roundabout way is I wouldn't mind if Boston were, like, top five in defense instead of number one. But they also had, like, a eighth, ninth seventh ranked offense and there was a little bit more parity in their production and i think that could actually make them a scarier team than being an elite defense with an offense that stutters every game for at least a quarter no I, I, really that's a great point because I, I i think that's as i was set, you know going through the teams that have uh led the league in defense uh one of the things that's become clear is that you know, when you you can lead the league, and you can be a great defensive team, but you have to be able to find that balance. Milwaukee is a great example that they led it two years in a row. And then the year that they didn't lead it was the third year after that. That's when they won a championship, when they said, you know, let's let's stop uh, putting so much uh, emphasis on how we defend and packing the paint and all that stuff. Let's 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 instead you know, try to switch a little bit, try to have a little bit more versatility. Uh, and then, and then that wound up leading to them uh, winning a championship. So uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'd like to see the Celtics win absolutely lead the league in defense again, considering the way they played in the last half of last year. Uh, but I don't think it ne- it's necessary in terms of uh, whether they can win or not. I completely agree. And we agree. Look, we agree. I know. It's actually impressive. Let's see if you guys um, agree throughout our next segment because it's kind of designed to get you all pitted against each other. Just a tad. Just a tad. You know, just some entertainment. You do realize I'm not the friendliest person on this podcast. It's hard to pit me against somebody. You think so? 
Oh, 100%. We'll, we'll let you think that. Okay, so we're going to play a game of true or false. And this is where you guys are going to be moderately lightning fast, as Adam explained earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, though. We don't do anything fast on this podcast. <laughs> no, we really don't. <laughs> All right. True or false. Adam, I'll let you start um, with your answer first, and then we'll go to Sean, and then we'll switch it up for question two. All right. So true or false? Newly signed Jake Lehman will be the last player kept on the Celtics roster. True. Sean, do you agree or disagree? Well, uh, you can expand on that, Adam, of course, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. And, and I know Adam's a fan of, uh, uh, of Jake Lehman because he cuts, he does this, he does that. But in the end, to me, I want one number from Jake Lehman. And, that, and I want one number from the, from the 14th guy, on the roster, and that is, I want thirty-eight percent from the three-point line. And Jake Lehman has not shown me that. When Jake Lehman was coming out of college, that was like his thing. Like he was a he was a very good three-point shooter. He was supposed to be a guy who could make a team because he could make a make a three-point shot. He cannot make a three-point shot. He cannot do that. Uh, you know, he's thirty percent in in however many what is it about five years in the league? Thirty percent from the three-point line. No way. No way. I mean, they need somebody who can make a shot from the outside. They don't need somebody who can cover your cuts or or or, or, or do whatever. No, no. You need somebody who can make a shot from the three point line. You need somebody who can, who has a, a a specific skill if you're going to keep them for that last spot on the on the roster. And this guy has no specific skills, so no way Jake Lehman uh, winds up making the Celtics. Who played who who played the lead role in Taken? Who was that? In what? The movie Taken. I have that. Is I that have the, the Liam, old... Liam Neeson? Yeah. yeah. So you need Liam Neeson, basically. Someone with a specific set of skills. I want player. one skill. I don't need I don't need I don't need Liam Neeson. You don't have to be an Oscar winner. I so want one skill. This. Let's look at this. The one season that Layman had a, a a significant consistent role on the team was 2018 to 2019 with Portland. Played in 71 games, started 33 of them. Shooting wasn't great, 32.6% from deep. Slightly below average. You can live with that, though. I know you want that 38% number, and if that's the case, you might as well just run with Sam Hauser. And I think I genuinely think they should have Hauser above Lehman anyway. We'll get but to that. <laughs> definitely, as I say, like uh, you've kind of covered it. He cuts, he runs, he makes really smart reads, good screener defensively. He's not really a sieve. He can hold his own. He's everything you want from a 14th man in the roster. Because if you're giving him significant minutes, whether he can score or not, something's gone drastically wrong. So I think that for me, it's very much about how, what do you add to the team overall? Can you fit in with the, the team's processes, their system? And then you start to trust in the process and be like, right, if you're open enough, and this is something I wish I'd looked into, how many of Lehman's shots have been open to wide open versus strongly contested? Because that makes a huge difference. In fact, while everyone talks, that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the second question. Sean, we'll start off with you this time. Um, true or false, the Celtics will throw caution to the wind and sign Carmelo Anthony. You know, I think it's false and I wish it wasn't, um, but I, 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 don't, I just don't see them. I think if they were going to do it, they would have done it by now, and and uh, unfortunately, they haven't done it by now. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I I think he fits what they need. I think he fits the Gallinari role. 
Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's, he's a veteran guy. He knows what he wants. I talking to people around the league. I think the concern that they have about him is that he's a distraction. He's Carmelo Anthony. And so he's going to wind up drawing a lot of attention to himself rather than, you know, just kind of letting the team be what it is. Uh, and I, I don't think that's a great reason to not sign somebody. You know, I, I just don't think that, um, you, your team should be able to handle that kind of attention, especially you've been to the finals. That 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 you shouldn't really have to be able to. Uh, uh, you shouldn't be. Able, you shouldn't have to worry about whether your team can handle the distraction of having Carmelo on your team. Um, so I, the answer is no. I don't think they they will. Uh, but but my answer personally is yes. I think they should. Adam. They should have signed Carmelo Anthony the moment that Dylan Gallinari got told he had an ACL injury. Yeah. The perfect fit gives you everything. At the end, of, I've seen a lot of people because I've posted about this on Instagram a bunch, and I've posted about it on Twitter as well. And everybody's like, "But Melo plays no defense." Well, what do you think Gallo did? Yeah, but did you watch Gallinari? Right, yeah. exactly. Gallo literally was one of the worst <laughs> defensive forwards in the league, and that's no shade because his offense was so good that he was still a valuable member in the rotation. But if your knock on Melo is this dude doesn't play defense. You obviously didn't read the scouting report on Gallo and understand the assignment because that he was bought in for the offensive upside, and that's what Melo gives you. Another thing that everybody says is, oh, well, he fell off down, down the stretch of the season, and we discussed this on a previous podcast. Yeah, he fell off because the dude was you know, bordering on 40, and they, they played him significant minutes for an entire year because the Lakers just couldn't stay healthy. So he got tired as the season wore on in a, in a reduced role, of around 15 minutes a night, he would stay fresh all year through, and you'd have a solid veteran scorer off the bench that could give you really valuable minutes. I don't see the downside. Honestly, if I was friends with Brad Stevens, I'd tell him this too. So both of you agree that they should. Sean doesn't think that they will. Adam, do you think that they will? Is it something that will happen or just something that should happen? If, if by the end of training camp, they're not impressed with the dudes that are there. You know, Jake Lehman doesn't impress. If Caboclo doesn't show any signs of being summer. If all of these dudes that are there just don't seem like they're going to be good enough fits for a team that's trying to contend, then yes, I think they go and have a look yeah. at Menno. Yeah, I think it's, it's, due, it's due diligence on some younger guys with more upside. Sorry, Sean. Yeah, no, no, it's a good, it's a good point, Adam, because because I mean the guys that they're looking at are all in the twenty five to twenty seven range, and they're also um, you know guys who you, you can bring on on a minimum deal who you know won't carry a lot of attention to the end of your bench, uh, but uh, but but yeah, you know uh, Mello is obviously an older guy, and and uh, yeah. They've got twelve right now. They have twelve guys on their roster, so they could conceivably add three more players. So you could bring in Justin Jackson and 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 uh, you know Kevin Keely. You could bring in those two guys and still bring in Melo as well. You know they are in a rare position in the NBA right now where they have three spots. Uh, I think they'll only wind up filling up two, uh, but but in the end they could fill in three spots if they really wanted to. I think they filled a two. I think they go in with one left. And I think that, you know, there's a chance that Justin Jackson, yeah. for me, is that number one guy that's going to get the, get one yeah. of those roster spots. Agreed. Now, Agreed. I'm not very high on Van Lee at the moment. I'm, I'm watching his... And my biggest thing with Van Lee is, like, I went back and watched a lot of his film from when he was in China last season with Shanghai. And he, 
when you're in the Chinese league, if you're trying to be an NBA level player, you're meant to stand out. You're meant to yeah. be unequivocally the best player on the floor. Vanley looked like a high level player. He didn't. He didn't stand out. You know, he was against Jalil Okafor in the one game, and that was just a battle. There was no domination. And I'm like, well, if you can't dominate in the CBA, then you're not going to do- dominate or even have a chance at making an NBA roster. Uh, Layman, I'm, I've looked at his numbers now. A bunch of his shots come wide open. They're still not falling. Uh, I'm still not out on him because he does everything. He, 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 you know, he's a he's a team player. But if I had to choose between Jake Layman and Carmelo Anthony, I'm sorry, Jake, man, you're gonna have to find somewhere else, bro. Carmelo needs to come. Um, <laughs> so I agree with you. I think that you know there is a chance that they still go for Melo, but like you say, that they're more likely going to pick up two guys, keep that 15th spot open because your TPEs can pick guys up off waivers. But having that flexibility of an open roster spot, you can take an extra player back and absorb a draft pick if you want to be able to start restocking that cupboard that Brad's emptied. Yeah, whoever they sign, they're going to sign to a non-guaranteed deal. I mean, it's not yeah. going to be. It's going to be one of those things where January 15th, you can cut them. I'll be there. Don't worry. They'll, they'll sign me soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move to questions. Well, well, Matt, Maddie, I just want to remind you that we did warn you that the, this the moderately, <laughs> yeah. This is not going to be a lightning round. <laughs> Definitely not lightning round, but that's okay. Good information. Okay, Adam, you get the first go at this next question. True or false? Udoka will give Sam Hauser regular rotation minutes. True, because Sam Hauser deserves regular rotation minutes. Look, he's not the most skilled guy. He's a single-skilled player, and what I mean by that is he does one thing really well, and everything else is kind of still a work in progress. That's fine. You can make an excellent career being a single-skilled guy. Buddy Heald is a single-skilled shooter. Duncan Robinson is a single-skilled shooter. Now, these type of players, once the playoffs roll around, their value in terms of impact on a game diminishes because you need guys that are defensively sound, that can do things on both sides of the ball. But as a regular season player, Sam Hauser shooting 37 to 40% from the field on catching shoots, curling over screens, off movement, from standing and spotting up, that holds significant value, especially if the player on the other side of the floor spotting up as well as Grant Williams. They haven't bought in a Carmelo Anthony. Jake Lehman is a more complete version of Sam Hauser without the jump shot. So I think that at the moment, the minutes of Sam Houses to lose. I don't think he has to earn them. I think he's going to have to lose them. I think if you if you look at the Celtics roster and the way that they're set up right now, they've got uh, pretty much a nine-man rotation. If you count Luke Cornett as the backup center, uh, you're going to have Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon at the point guard, Jalen Brown, Derek White, and they've got uh, Jason Tatum, small forward. You've got... Uh, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, and then let's say Cornette is the, is the backup uh, uh, five. That's nine guys. Ime has not shown me any time during uh, last season, during the playoffs, whatever, that he wants to play more than nine guys. So I think it's going to be hard for Sam Hauser uh, to to earn himself a spot. And, and, and that's unfortunate because I think he should. And I wonder if there's going to be some input from the front office that says, "Hey, look, let's 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 spread out our, our rotation a little bit more during the regular season, so that we can be more ready for the for the postseason." So, a we know what we have with Peyton Pritchard and and Sam Hauser, and and b we can give our guys a little bit of rest. Uh, so, I haven't seen it from Emi Adoka to make me think that he's going to do that 
next year. Uh, but I think that when you take those nine guys, I think the 10th guy is either going to be Pritchard or, or Hauser, uh, and it might switch on given nights. So I, I, I think that Hauser is going to get minutes. I don't think it's going to be a regular rotation spot, though. Uh, not with with what when you look at what the first nine guys are going to be, and certainly look, there's going to be injuries, and we'll see how that all develops as well. So you make a really good point about Udoka only really liking that eight man rotation, and then you make another good point: the Celtics ran out of gas because they played such a stringent rotation during the regular season. And the, one of the beauties, and I know a lot of people got really frustrated with Brad for this. But one of the beauties of Brad Stevens, early season Brad Stevens, not even early to mid-season until the trade deadline, really, that dude was experimenting with his lineups. He'd go eight deep, he'd go 10 deep, 12 deep, right. and everybody was fresh. And I think that Imo Doka is obviously very self-aware as a coach. You see him kind of analyze his own performances during press conferences. And I think that's going to be something he's aware of as well, right? You're putting so many minutes and miles on these guys' clocks that a playoff runs long and arduous so you need to start resting guys more now and look at that word i used i used arduous please give me props so that for me it's giving more more time to guys like hauser because you don't know how good they can be until you give them an opportunity you fit yeah. and then you just look at miami like miami are the kings of picking guys up and just give it throwing them in the rotation you're either going to stick or you're going to bounce and they they find a lot of gems that way so i'm hoping udoka takes a leaf out of that book and just opens that rotation. You're asking him to go from eight to ten. We're not asking him to play all fifteen guys. I think anyone. And, and just and, and what's crazy, Adam, to me too, is that is that that's what Greg Popovich used to do all the time, right? I mean that yeah. that's he he was and 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 you know Ime was there for that. I think maybe Ime was a little self conscious about being a head coach for the first time, and he really wanted to succeed, so he didn't want to play guys who couldn't help him win on that night, even if it was. You know, November 11th, and and they were playing, you know, Charlotte in a in a pretty much meaningless game. Uh, I, I wonder if that's going to change. You know, now that he's kind of made his bones as as a guy who just got as a rookie coach who got his team to the to, to the NBA Finals. Finals. As a, as an aside, as an aside, with Will Hardy gone, and obviously a lot of the offense he kind of had a hand in, they should go and try and bring in James Borrego as an offensive coordinator, like, you know, not, I know we're not talking NFL, but somebody that could come in and help draw up some offensive plays. Cause he would be ideal for this system. That's just an aside. I would really like James Borrego on this coaching staff as an assistant. All right, let's get to our next question. Sean, you get a crack at this first last year. Robert Williams set a career high for games played at 61. Do you think that he will beat that this upcoming season? You know, I, I, I think he will. Uh, one thing about Robert Williams and his knees, uh, I think everybody knows he doesn't have great knees. <laughs> you know, I think that that's part of the deal here. Uh, that's the reason that they got him at the 27th pick in 2018. Um, if you go back and look, I remember talking to his agent and, and some other people around the league. Uh, they all expected him to go either late lottery or, or number 15 uh, to Washington. And what ultimately drove those teams away were was his knees and, and he had bad knees and, and and everybody knew it and nobody was really uh willing to take a chance on him until the Celtics did at number 27 uh you know practically second round at that point so uh you know you got you got to worry about this guy every year you're always going to be worried about his health about his knees about whether he's going to be able to play however 
from what I understand, A, he's he's had a great summer. Um, you know, he took some time off, went to Southern California. He's been he's been uh, working out in Southern California. Uh, so he's 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 doing pretty well in terms of just where his body is right now. But I think the other thing, and and I think that this was something that happened last year uh, during the postseason, is that he started to speak up about his knees. He started to say, look, uh, you know, I know when I'm healthy. I know when I'm not healthy. I know when it feels good. I know when it doesn't feel good. Uh, and I think he was always a little bit afraid of that. You know, he's always been a young guy. Uh, uh, now, now that he's a little more mature, I think he's more willing to speak out on that. So I think he's 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 willing to say more like, okay, this is this doesn't feel right, or this does feel right. Don't worry about this. Do worry about this. Uh, and if he takes more control over his health and his personal well being, then yeah, I think we'll probably see him play. You know, sixty four, sixty five, maybe even seventy games next year. Yeah, but coming into the season, I completely agree with you. So I'm going, I'm agreeing with everything you said. Coming into the season, I would really like the coaching staff to have a, a hard stop on the amount of regular season games you play as well. You know, like we're going to draw the line at 68 games and we want you to have the rest of those games as rest because we, we need you healthy. We've seen what you're capable of when you're 100% healthy. You were impactful playing off one leg during the playoffs. You, you were altering shots when you had one good leg. So imagine what you're going to be like with two good legs. So putting a hard stop at 68 games would be perfect for me. Um, and obviously, if you find yourself in this dogfight for seeding and something's gone wrong and all of a sudden you're fighting to stay out of the plane, extend that as long as his health looks good. But if, if you start, as you say, if Rob starts to say, hey, the knees aren't feeling too great, let him sit because the last thing you want to do is cost yourselves and him some of his best years by pushing him too hard in moments that you don't necessarily need him. All right. Last question. We're going to make this one lightning fast. Adam, you get a first crack at it. Brad Stevens, will he trade away another future draft pick sometime before the February 9th NBA trade deadline? True or false? Brad Stevens wants no part of draft picks. True. Absolutely false. I think Brad Stevens has known that he needed to use his draft picks to reshape the roster in the way that he wanted to, and it's now in the way that he wants. He does not want to trade any more draft picks. I mean, look, you've got a bunch of guys who are going to be getting older and older and older. You've got a backcourt that's all going to be in their 30s in a couple of years, uh, and and he needs to get some more young guys in there. So, uh, you know, I think they won't – I think they don't make a pick next year – 2024 is the first he's going to pick in 2024, probably 2025 as well. So I'm going to say that, yes, Brad, Brad Stevens will hold on to his draft picks from here. I think he's done what he wanted to do with those draft picks originally. It could be just a second round pick, though, Sean. He could trade away a second and then he traded away a draft pick. I meant the first round. Nobody cares about second round picks. I mean, I was saying overall <laughs> draft picks. <laughs> it's the way you interpret the question. Okay, you guys, if you stuck with us this long, you know that you're circling back next week. Go ahead and follow us on every podcast platform. Subscribe and have a great week. <laughs>